we uh, we ready to do this? Because I'm gonna do the worst intro. This is gonna be this is gonna be awkward and painful. Oh uh, yeah, let's do the worst possible intro you can. Do it to it, man. Okay. So this episode, we are doing our top ten episodes of Star Trek: The Next Generation, and I thought it would be lame to start out with the theme song. So I'm like, what could be even more lame? And this is what I came up with. Data was rehearsing a production of HMS Pinafore just before he left. A British tar is a soaring soul, as free as a mountain bird. His energetic fist should be ready to resist a dictatorial word. Sing, walk, sing. His nose should pant. And his lips should curl. His cheeks should flame. And his brow should furl. His bosom should heave. And his heart should glow. And his fist be ever ready for a knockdown blow. His nose should pant. And his lips should curl. His cheeks should flame. And his brow should furl. His bosom should heave. And his heart should glow. And his fist be ever ready for a knockdown blow. Prepare the doggy clamps. Indeed, prepare the docking clamps for the Comic Book Dungeon podcast. <laughs> My name is Mark, and I'm coming to you from the slightly damp Comic Book Dungeon. <laughs> My name is Cruz, and I'm coming to you from the awesomely bedecked Comic Book Daughter's Room. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'm yeah, sure yeah. there's some stories to be told. I think... This is going to be a slightly different format than most of our listeners are used to. We're not discussing a comic book this week. We are discussing our top ten favorite episodes of Star Trek The Next Generation. So if you are a Star Trek fan, this is going to be a great episode. If you are not a Star Trek fan, you might just want to hit skip on your uh, your pod <laughs> player. Or you could take the time that you're not using to listen to the episode and leave us a great five-star review. Yeah. So right, you can you can listen to the opening banter, and once we get into the hot and heavy Star Trek goodness, maybe then you can skip. I think most of our listeners, this is going to overlap. And I had put out a call on Twitter a couple times actually uh, to get feedback from our fans or from Star Trek fans to read on the air, and I actually have a couple uh, top episode picks from friends of the show that I will get to later in the episode. Ooh, that sounds freaking fascinating. Um, so, um, what you been up to? I have been, uh, I, I took a brief hiatus from comic books from a minute, so I've been getting back in. I've been reading a little bit more Star Trek. I read the best Star Trek book I've read in a while. There, I've been reading great ones, and this one was just great. It had parasites jumping on people's necks, and it was, uh, Really good. It was the end of a a series, and it's a it's a follow up series to another Star Trek book series. It's actually something that I think you would really enjoy the Star Trek Vanguard series. Mm. I think that if there is a Star, because it, it's I know some people who haven't been reading the expanded stuff. It's where do you jump on? This is very much has a definite starting point and end point, and it's just it's really good. I think if you looked at Vanguard, I think that's something that would be right up your alley. I will have to bear that in mind. Um, uh, I was going to say the the we've been having a lot of moisture in Michigan, and the basement, which the or the dungeon, which 
the three wise men are like, wow, this isn't dungeon-like at all. It's not dank at all. We've been having some moisture issues that we found quite an expensive <laughs> fix for. So I might also be relegated out of the comic book dungeon for alternative recording areas in the future. But I'm curious <laughs> about what you've been up to and why you're in the comic book daughter's room. Uh, okay. Uh, well, what have I been up to uh, comic book-wise? Uh, not reading much. I did switch over because that last uh, last episode i was watching supergirl on netflix well it got to a point where there's a team up between supergirl and the flash and in order to follow through with that i needed to jump over to the flash series so i just jumped over and started the flash series over again so i can get totally caught up to where this team up occurred which has been fun i really like grant gustin as the flash he is such he does such an awesome job as as the flash it's, it's freaking great Anywho, um, so along with that, I've been interviewing like a freaking motherfucker because I'm still unemployed. Yes. But uh, yeah, things are looking up. It's very weird that both of us had some employment issues around the same time because I just started a new job within the last month and had a major shakeup. My wife, a month before that, lost her job and she's headed back to work. So it's funny that we've, the three of us have had these, almost these overlapping data points. Well, yeah. So uh, let's see. Uh, Mrs. Cruz's. Career prospects are improving. She's looking to take over a classroom in December, which is going to be awesome. A hostile takeover? Mm, no, no, no teachers were harmed in the... The filming of that uh, episode? No teachers were harmed in the filming of this hostile takeover. Not hostile. You know, uh, beneficial. Okay. Uh, amicable takeover, shall okay. we say. Amicable. Uh, as for me, I'm, I'm hoping I had this uh, interview... Well. I had an interview on Thursday that went really well, and I'm hoping it it works out because that'll be the kind of job I've been looking for to uh, carry on into retirement. It's not White House press secretary, is it? Nobody lasts more than a couple months in that job, and I can't lie that well. (laughs) Yeah, you don't have the barracuda eyes. Yeah, yeah, I don't have the freaking eyes that freaking show that I'm dead inside. Um (laughs) I heard she's a big fan of the show, so this is going to be pretty devastating. Oh, yeah. I'm sure she is. Um, so, yeah. So, uh, I, I guess we were supposed to record last night, but I was way too dead to the world. It was super weird because uh, your, your la- I know your laptop was on because your Skype was open. So, I, I tried to call a couple times, and I'm like, you know what? I bet he fell asleep, and I, I played some... Uh, Ghost Recon Wildlands, and then when I didn't hear back from you in the morning, I'm like, it's gonna make sure that uh, he wasn't like Liam Neeson taken or like you're in the <laughs> hospital. So I, I texted. Yeah. Uh, okay. So dude, this this starts when no Tuesday. Uh, so I've been doing like temp work, temp construction guy work. Yeah. Uh, so the temp agency calls me Tuesday. They're like. Hey, Cruz, we've got this job for you, man, and it's right up your right up your way. And I'm like, oh, cool, awesome. So they're like, yeah, you're gonna be doing an emergency repair at this Target, and I'm like, okay, cool. It's like, but it's a night shift. I'm like, all right, cool, no problem. So it was a 10 p.m. to 9 a.m. shift doing a waterline repair in a Target parking lot, the one over in uh, Hesperia, if you remember that one, right off the freeway. I think I do. 
Yeah, well, there's a I patch, and there's a patch in the asphalt I can point you at, and I can say I was there. Um, so yeah, so we went out there, and we we you know me and three other guys uh, pretty much ripped out the asphalt, dug down, found you know did our thing. But the the day you know Wednesday afternoon, since I have kids, and granted, yes, they go to school, I, I managed to sleep a couple hours before they got home from school. But since I have kids, that means I'm not fucking sleeping for the rest of the the evening. So in order to try and balance out my sleep, I got a little bit of sleep in the late afternoon before they got home from school. Then I was awake for them being home from school. And then I left to work right when they went to bed. And then I got back in right after they had left for school the next day. And I was so hopped up on caffeine and fucking energy drinks that I really couldn't sleep and to kick it off I had an interview this interview I was going uh, that I'm uh, got a positive outlook on uh, was the next day after I had the night shift work so I had to drive all the way down uh, uh, Ontario to the airport down there if you know what I'm talking about Mm -hmm. Uh, I drive an hour an hour plus out away from the house to do this interview and then immediately after that interview the temp agency was having a safety barbecue in Riverside. So, yeah, so I had to go from Ontario to Riverside, which is about a 35, 40 minute drive. And that didn't let out till about 7 8 o'clock at night. And then I drove all the way back home and got home around 9 or 10 ish. And granted, I slept eight hours on, I guess that was Thursday night. Friday, I still felt like the fucking dead. Yeah, that so, catch up to you. Yeah, so I you know, I managed to, to to keep going all through Friday, but uh Friday night it was just way too much for me to stay awake. So that's why I, my laptop was open, but I was passed the fuck out. Yeah, I figured. Yeah. So yeah, so I, yeah, I went like three days with about ten hours of sleep, which was not fucking good. No, that's that's not a good way to function. No, not at all. Not at all. Although I do think night shift work is kind of cool, but hey, whatever. Um, so as for why I'm in the uh, the comic book daughter's room, uh, my my eldest two are away at a slumber party today, and my younger two are having a sleep having a sleepover in the living room, which is next to the kitchen where I normally record. And I figured, hey, this is a room I can close the door to and I can speak a little bit louder than if I was in the kitchen. And it would probably make for better recording. Yeah, it's good so far. Yeah, so that's that's why I am here in the comic book daughter's room. <laughs> I got to tell you, I'm really excited about this. This is the probably out of all the episodes we've done. Not counting interview or collaborative episodes with other podcasts, this is by far my favorite. And I have had my wife has had several conversations with me this week where it's the you said you were going to stop talking about Star Trek like five minutes ago. You just need to stop. And when I tell her that we didn't record last night, she and I was continuing to talk about Star Trek. <laughs> she was a bit disappointed. So I've gotten multiple multiple warnings from her that the you need to stop. I don't care. You've already told me this. I know why you picked your. I know. I know how you picked your your ten. I know your system. Stop talking to me. 
I'm I'm not sure if you had similar experiences, but I have told so many, or I've talked to so many people about Star Trek this week because I just can't shut up about it. I've been really just excited about this episode. I I would just get a glaze-eyed look from my spouse because like if I mention anything science fiction, she's just like, uh huh, bye. Yeah, I think we both got a little bit of the. Shut up, Wesley. <laughs> exactly. Well, I guess you know it was a little bit more of the. Shut up, Wesley. Yeah, yeah, exactly. A little more feminine tone to that shut up. Yeah. I like it. Well, it started out with that second one, and it moved to the first one. Yes, it did. Yes, it did. I know exactly that. I know what that episode. I watched it again. I I used to hate that episode as a, a kid, and I know a lot of people, because it's just, it, it, Wesley Crusher, when he gets super mad and gets thrown off the bridge... He's everybody's an idiot in that episode, but him. And it's I don't understand a lot of the hatred to Wesley Crusher because so much of the episode, like where people are like he's being annoying, it's he's the only person acting with any common sense. Yes. And in that episode, Laura was doing everything but wearing a "I'm not data" sign, and everyone's just like, <laughs> "He used a contraction," and he's laughing maniacally, and I can watch him. While I'm watching him. Behind my back, arm the photon torpedoes, but I'm going to give Data the benefit of the doubt. He told me to call him Laura a minute ago, but I didn't find anything suspicious about that. <laughs> yeah, what, what do you mean you're suspicious of Data? That's, mind your lane, Ensign. Shut up, Wesley. Exactly. <laughs> yes, shut up, Wesley. There's a few of those original uh, uh season one episodes where it's just it's everybody acting in inexplicable ways which is so far been my experience with star trek discovery i am uh i think mm. i'm about halfway through season one and i'm liking it a little bit better than i did before it's clearly the writing is better than enterprise i'm not done with season one of enterprise yet and i'm like a year into <laughs> i like the characters on enterprise but the writing and situations are terrible the writing on discovery i think is good but it's characters acting in inexplicably weird or psychotic or sociopathic ways. But yeah, it's definitely, I can't wait to see how they try to fit it into the canon. Right, yeah. I'm just, I'm so excited, because for the benefit of the audience, Cruz and I have not compared lists, so this is going to be a as much of a voyage of discovery for us as it is for you. And like I texted earlier or Cruz earlier this week, we might not be friends after this. This might, uh, this might get ugly. Uh, no guarantees made here. Whether, whether the friendship stands after this. Okay. We'll have to, uh, we'll have to go through and we'll have to see, see our talking points. And yeah, I, I have a good justification for all of them. And again, this is, what I did was, this is not what I'm saying are the 10 best episodes of Star Trek The Next Generation in terms of writing or what or acting. I chose my top 10 favorite. So I know there's my number 10 on this list. The writer disavowed and didn't put his name on, and I fans hate it. I know it's, a, it's going to be a controversial pick. If we had people listening, I'm sure we'd be getting emails about it later. But, uh, <laughs> no, I know you guys are out there. But, no, I so if you guys do not like our list, I would love to hear your top ten lists or explanations on why you like a pick or why Mark's an idiot or whatnot on, on some of these picks. My criteria, or how I went through, was I just went through a bunch of episode guides. And 
uh, used a, uh, a, a, I rated episodes on a one, two, or a three. One was must make the list. Two, super great episode. Three, great episode. And then I picked a bunch that way, and then I used that to, to narrow down into my list. What, uh, did you have a, you, uh, I'm blanking. You just told me a few minutes ago yeah. prior. How did you come up with your list again? I had a, a similar metric where, you know, basically I went through various entertainment sites and magazines, top 10 lists, and read their their summaries of what they consider to be the best episodes. And whichever ones I really remembered strongly as, as being my favorites, I wrote down and whittled down to 10. And then the ones that I was a little foggy on – uh, I, I went through and actually rewatched them over the last couple of days to try and get them down. And uh, I was able to kind of solidify a little more of a ranking for mine. But like my bottom – call it my bottom four are pretty much interchangeable. My top six are probably, for me, my personal favorite episodes. Yeah, the, the bottom four are still kind of like – they're. I, I think they're – I would say their their episodes I think are my my I don't, I don't know they're they're episodes that I appreciate for for their importance or because they stood out for some reason or another and they're really memorable for me. I'd say mine's similar. My top like six are I feel very strongly about the last ten I know needed to be on this list, but it would be difficult for me to rank them. I also had a Sophie's Choice for like the last spot and i have them oh, oh, it, it killed me not to put like three or four episodes on <laughs> but uh i i have like a whole list of runners up <clears throat> but uh i know there's one well there's two episodes that make every top 10 list and one was gr- great and i it just didn't make my cut off i like it and another one that has been it it's on everybody's list i just don't care for and i know when I'm pretty sure it's going to be on your list. I would bet money on it. And okay. I, I think there's going to be there's going to be some. Uh, I think at least from the audience, anybody listening, I think there's going to be people like screaming at their radios or their phones. Okay, come on, hit, let's go. Hit it up. Wait, what are the two like two? Uh, what we call the mainstream uh, best episodes. Okay, so the two episodes that I didn't pick, the one that. It is on everybody's top ten list, and it is supposed to be the most moving episode. I literally listened to a podcast a year and a half ago where somebody was talking about the episode, and they cried during it. That's how much emotion this uh, invokes. It's a great one. It just it just didn't make my cutoff was inner light. And that fuck you, fuck you, and fuck you again. Okay, just eat a bag of dicks and die. Oh man, I just think I got a uh... shut up, <laughs> and that's not even the controversial one. The one that I don't really care for, and I haven't watched it since I was like a teenager, and that's because it's just maybe I might like it better as an adult, but it hasn't grabbed me. Is Yesterday's Enterprise? Ooh, that is like ev- everybody Ooh. loves that fucking episode. Okay. Here's the irony, okay? Out of like the three or four different websites I went through and checked out for top ten lists, not a single one of them had yesterday's Enterprise on it. But that I remembered me, that one, that makes and me I happy. went back to it because I've seen that on so many top ten lists. I remember right after Next Gen ended, 
and I'm not sure if this was national or just my local affiliate, but they ran a contest and played the five most popular episodes. That was like number two. Um, but yeah. yeah, I don't understand the fuck you to me on the inner light. I agree that was a good one. And if I had like a top 12 or 15, inner light would have been mm. on there. It's a great it, one. Inner light is my number one because every time I watch that one, I, I can, I can tell like, all I need is like one, like a good, like five more minutes of, 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 of like, him just losing every, of Picard losing everything as he's going through this experience, and I probably would be fucking crying. It, it gets me right on that ragged edge of just feeling fucking overwhelmed with emotion because the acting and the story and everything about that fucking episode was outstanding. I, I think what inner light. I think it's because when I looked at a lot of my favorites and ones that made the list and didn't make the list, a common denominator on multiple ones are they all hinged on the acting ability of Patrick Stewart. Patrick Stewart did a lot of these amazing dramatic uh, takes and he carried inner light. Inner light is not a particularly exciting episode. You know, there's no phaser battles. It's all carried on the uh, emotional range of Patrick Stewart. Okay. Okay, so let, let's let's oh, hold on, hold on. Let's let's break this down because okay, because if they're coming at this, if you're listening to this, you might not remember this one. So I, I think as we as we dissect each other's episodes, uh, whoever nominates said episode should give a brief summary of what happens in the episode, so that the listener is more aware. That being said, a brief summary of the inner light. Uh, inner light was. Uh, if I remember correctly, season five, episode 25, uh, in this episode, it opens with the Enterprise discovering a probe. Uh, probe shoots weird Ray at Enterprise, strikes Picard. Picard goes down, and while the crew is struggling to resuscitate him, basically Picard goes into a, a simulation, although he's completely unaware of it. And he lives a comp- an almost complete life. I mean, he lives like 30 some odd years in this civilization where he has a wife, he has kids, he raises a family, he sees all his friends start dying, and he sees basically a great um, naturally caused disaster on the planet that, that, you know, that he realizes is coming and it's going to kill the planet. And then he, he kind of, you know, at, towards the end, the simulation kind of starts coming undone a little bit and they tell him, hey, this is how we wanted to be remembered because we knew our planet was dying. So we sent the probe out to go find you or to go find someone that could teach everyone what happened here. And then he gets, you know, he, he gets recessed, you know, the, the probe lets him go and he's back aware and he's just completely just fucking like emotionally wrecked after this experience because – you know, he he managed to convince himself that the Enterprise was kind of this hallucinatory experience. And then after the 30 years spent in the simulation, he comes back and realizes what he believed. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's and it, it you're right. It does 100 percent completely hinge on Picard's performance. Yeah, He knocks it out. I mean, that's it's an amazing episode. He does such a fucking great job. An amazing job, and I and I think I th- I think as we go through this, we're gonna probably see my episodes are gonna be the more touchy feely ones. I got a feeling that this might be the case. That's an episode because I, I love at the end. It's 
because he was he he played a flute. A lot of yes. it is yeah, in, like the inside the probe. That's like like the one artifact they find is a flute, and right. they, they touch on some like that's an episode that in the expanded universe it keeps getting touched upon because of the after effects like it had on Picard's psyche. psyche. No, it's a great episode. Most people would agree with you that is the number one episode of, of Next Gen. I mean, I can either do my my number one. Yeah, I think I'll do my number one, and then we'll go into... Because I know there's two on this list that I'm willing to bet that we have. But okay. uh, my my number one, and it's another one that like I would watch on Netflix, and I would like turn up like, Ashley, you got to hear this. And she just wouldn't care. And a lot of my ones, I wouldn't say are necessarily the, the more touchy-feely, but they're the ones with, like, the great messages. And it's, like, the really takeaway of, like, this is this is what Star Trek's about. This is us holding ourselves to these higher ideals. And my absolute, I think, favorite episode of Next Gen is episode two, or season two, episode nine, Measure of a Man. Mm, and, okay. And do you have that one? It was in the running. It didn't quite make my top ten, but it was in the running. I I watched this one so many like just just in the last year. I can't even count probably how many times I watched it. And on the Blu-ray, there's a uh, a special edition episode that's like fifteen or twenty minutes longer. And actually, I I pulled little audio clips from mine. Some are longer than others, oh. but either something funny from the episode or something that kind of gives the gist. But here, I'm gonna play a little bit of audio from Measure of a Man. Commander Data, what are you doing now? I'm taking part in a legal hearing to determine my rights and status. Am I a person or property? And what's at stake? My right to choose. Perhaps my very life. My rights. My status. My right to choose. My life. Oh, seems reasonably self-aware to me, Commander. So in this episode, Data, uh, he's ordered to report to Commander Maddox who's going to disassemble him in a, a highly dangerous experiment. Data doesn't believe he'll be able to be put back together again the way he is, and so he tries to refuse. Starfleet doesn't let him, and he tries to resign, and Starfleet makes the argument that Data is not a person, that Data is property. So they have a JAG hearing, and since there's not a lot of staff at this new Starbase, Picard acts as Data's attorney, and Riker acts as the prosecution. And it's the episode that establishes that Data is a, a sentient life form, that he has the rights of, uh, of any living being. And just the journey to get there, that if somebody does manage to replicate Data, that you're going to have this whole just 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 thousands or millions of datas that that's a race and that if we don't view them as people i mean we're just using them disposably i mean that is slave labor this goes against everything that star trek is about and just the arguments <laughs> to get there what's that okay, okay. uh no 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 can if okay I, I agree with you, and I, I need to correct myself. It, it is in my bottom four. It did make the top ten. It's just one of my more nebulous ones as to I couldn't really place it for myself. Yeah. Uh, so so we're, we're, we 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 both have it on our list. Uh, the comment about the thousands of datas and everything. It just made me think about Voyager with what they did with the EMH Mark ones. If you remember that, I do. That they they 
put them to work in the engine room, like scrubbing like plasma manifolds or something. Exactly, or they had them mining dilithium and shit, which yeah. is basically slave labor. <laughs> and I, I think that that was something that you, that Voyager started to explore. I know the book series started to explore when they got back to Earth, and they made the argument that the uh, Doctor was sentient. And Next Gen kind of explored that with Moriarty. And those episodes, those uh, I wanted to have one on my list, and they just didn't make the cut. Yeah, yeah. The, the Sherlock Holmes and Moriarty episodes were some of my favorites, but I it just it just didn't have as much impact as what I wanted for for what for this list. The gravitas is <laughs> not there. But yeah, yeah. I, I love when they dealt with the you know this is. Is it any less sentient because it's made out of different materials or reasons differently? And that's what I think makes Star Trek Star Trek. Right. So we're we're pretty much in lockstep. I mean, Inner Light would have been, if I had 11 picks, I think Inner Light would have made it. 12 okay. definitely and you had measure of a man so we're good we're 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 not we're we're not off uh, uh in completely different directions so far. So this is good. Okay. So uh, if you're done with Measure of a Man. I am. My number two falls along a very similar vein. My number two was uh, season three, episode, I think it was 15 or 16, and it was The Offspring. Okay. It killed me not to put that on here because I love that one. That's another one I watch a lot. I, I put that one on there. Okay, and, and, and you know what? I can probably tell you. In all honesty, uh, twelve years ago, I probably wouldn't have put it on there, or it would have. It, twelve years ago, it would have been, it would have been a contender, but not something that would make a top ten. Yeah, and, and I, I, you know, the the aspects of, well, anyway. So basically, brief summary: Offspring uh, is the episode where Data decides to create. A child for himself. Excuse me. And what he does is he creates Lal, which is his daughter. And in the process of doing this, Starfleet becomes aware of his creation and wants to take Lal away to uh, raise her, I guess you could say, in a cybernetic lab in under controlled circumstances because they want to see how a positronic, you know, how, how a Sung design, Union Sung, whatever his name was, designed positronic matrix Android would develop under more idealized and controlled conditions. And ultimately, this falls back onto the, uh, the arguments raised in Measure of a Man, you know, is, is the Android property, is the Android sentient is a developing intelligence something that has a right to choose or not and so on and so forth and it basically comes in like freaking starfleet's like cps trying to take away a fucking kid from somebody that doesn't deserve it and you know picard made some very poignant remarks about you know forcing uh forcing people to turn their children over to the government and uh, it it was really good, and I think it it makes my list now mainly because I, I I've been a parent for twelve years now, and it's it's striking how far you will go for your your children, and what you will do and what you will change just just to maintain that relationship and keep those uh, in your life. So it, it hit a mark with me that was really. 
you know, in my touchy feely area. It, it's a really good one. That was another one that it was, uh, I think I listed it as a two or a three. So it was, it was in consideration. I think one of my favorite parts of that episode, it's Raker was off the ship. So he missed the creation of Lal and she's tending bar with Guinan and <laughs> Lal re, uh, kisses Raker and that's right when Data comes in and Data asks, uh, he's like, Commander Riker, I have to ask what your intentions are with my daughter. Daughter? <laughs> I, I have some news here that I think as a fan of this episode, it's going to really float your boat. That she is, uh, Data found a way to repair her, uh, her positronic net. So she is a, there's a series of Data books where Data right. is alive after post-Nemesis. And okay. he's a, because he goes on a quest and he uh, he finds somebody. Uh, it's a character from the original series, and they're able to repair Lol's positronic net, so she's alive. Nice. Yes. She's, nice. Uh, she goes through her, this teen angsty phase. She's 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 a humorous character. And uh, side note: the episode was directed by Jonathan Frakes, also known as uh, uh, Will Riker. Will Riker, yeah, he does a great job directing. He's one of the the yes. best known. I uh, I actually hit him up on Twitter to see if he had any favorite episodes. I wasn't expecting a response back, and I didn't get one. Which <laughs> he's Jonathan Frakes, so he's got other stuff to do. Yeah, he's got other stuff to do. So okay, so what do you got for your number two? I would say my number two, and I would be floored if this made your top ten. But this was a very heady episode, and it really gets to the, I think, a lot of the, the, the themes of Star Trek. And I had trouble finding a very concise line that summed it up, so I went for a more funny one. But this is uh, episode or season 4, episode 21, The Drumhead. And this is the episode where there's an explosion in the engine room and sabotage is suspected. And so they have this hearing, and even after it's found out, they, this retired admiral and her staff come in to investigate. And even after it's found out that this was, there was no conspiracy in terms of the damage, there was some secrets that were, were leaked, and they get to the bottom of it. She keeps investigating, and crewman Tarsus, it turns out, who's like a quarter Vulcan, was, he lied, he's a quarter Romulan, and they're going to destroy him and his career and they just keep investigating and investigating until Picard does this very poignant speech about the damage we're willing to do to the individual and about how we can let paranoia then we well, can start something with the best of intentions, but how paranormal can paranoia can destroy a a civilization or not civilization but a society and uh here this is from the conclusion of the episode, and it always makes me uh crack up when I hear it. I brought down bigger men than you, Picard. So, I mean, it, it, the episode closes with this line about it's when you're willing to uh, infringe upon like the freedom of another uh, to further this goal, and it's just you're lessening all of us. And those are the sort of speeches that I, I think, those are the sort of messages that make Star Trek work. And it's just, it really embodies him as like the spirit of the Federation fighting against this injustice that he sees uh going on on his ship and it's really good yeah absolutely that sounds like a good one um that was not on any of my lists and i'm sure i've watched it once or twice was it the admiral with the short curly blonde hair i forget her name 
Uh, Nechev? I don't know. No, she's she's an older British lady. Uh, it's Admiral Settee was her mm. name. It's a good one. If you yeah, what's up? Four twenty six. I'll, I'll take a look at uh, four twenty one. Yeah, it's, 421. Yeah, it's a it's a good one. I mean, it's again, it's another one that doesn't have a lot of action, but it really has those big messages that uh, those meaty yeah. messages that I, I love. Yeah. All right. So that's a good one. I can't say I remember that one very well, but it does. You know, there are several points throughout the series where they do that, where they 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 deliver their message in in. in in a spectacular fashion. Not, well, not spectacular. I don't know. They, they deliver their message, and they keep that message going, and I find that paranoia one relevant today more than ever. <laughs> I think that's one of the reasons that this one really speaks to me, like, the last couple of years, because, I mean, it's it really holds up with what's going on in our government today. Okay. So my number three. My number three is probably one of the most made fun of episodes in Star Trek, the next generation history. But it is one of my favorite ones. Uh, this is uh, season five, episode two, Darmok. It's, it's one that like, I agree that casual fans make fun of a lot, but I've seen it on a lot of lists, and I actually, I, I'm a big fan of Darmok. It didn't make my list, but uh, you're a Cogdis fan, the Cognitive Dissidents podcast made fun of it a few months ago. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it is It is one of – I mean, okay, so a brief summary. There's a species of aliens that has had dealings with Starfleet kind of in the past. They've been relatively peaceful, but they've remained isolated because they were basically deemed incomprehensible. Uh they arrive at this planet on the edge of their territory, send a signal to the Federation. Federation comes in while they send the Enterprise. So Enterprise and this alien species are trying to communicate with each other, but it is 100% inscrutable. Well, the alien captain you know, hatches a plan to recreate a part of their language with – uh, Picard in order to kind of foster understanding and the issue is that their language is almost 100% metaphorical using proper nouns so it's kind of the you know to give an example as they did in the show is if I say Juliet on the balcony you guys and everyone else understands what that is because everyone knows the story of Romeo and Juliet and they know Juliet on the balcony she's freaking looking you know it's kind of an image of romance or longing or what have you and this alien species, it's a similar context, except we don't know the stories. So we can't understand it. So they go on this planet, Picard and the alien captain. They recreate one of those stories, which is basically Darmok and Jalad at Tanagra, which is two great hunters uh, uh, sail onto this island named Tanagra. They fight this beast and they leave. They fight a common enemy and they leave together. And that's what he's trying to do. He's trying to recreate some circumstances where the Federation and their species arrive on this planet. They fight a common enemy and they leave together. Picard eventually gets it and gets the language, but the alien captain falls victim to the beast. And they manage to close the negotiations in an amicable way, but they still don't quite understand each other at the end. And a lot of it is a lot of the issue. A lot of the episode is basically Picard 
and the and the enterprise crew trying to piece together what this language is and how how to understand it and how to communicate it's it, it's 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 one of my favorites you know because it, it is just it, it is it is first contact in its like raw kind of sort of form where it's a completely different language you don't know what the hell you're trying to do and you're trying to understand an alien species with alien values and, and alien stories and alien mythos and all that shit and you don't have the ease of this universal translator to make it work. So I, I think that is definitely one of the core tenets of the Star Trek universe is the exploration aspect and the first contact aspect of learning and, and learning to communicate and deal with other species. That is one of the more fantastical elements of Star Trek and that you don't often get to see too much. And I think this was an extremely well done version of that. A criticism that I've seen people, a lot of people levy at it, is just they 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 think it's ridiculous that if if they can speak in metaphor, they would understand you know language. It's, it they would be able to communicate with that. It's I mean you could make that argument, but again, who knows how an alien mind is going to function? I think it's a great episode. Like you said, it's all about overcoming that those communication barriers coming together, and it's it's what Star Trek's all about. Do you know who played Darmok? Mm. No. It is Paul Winfield, who he also played uh, Captain Terrell from Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. Oh! Yeah. Oh, awesome. Because his face, even underneath all the makeup, there was something familiar about him. Yeah, he was uh, Captain Terrell with the ear parasite. (laughs) Okay. The voice, the voice, the voice. His voice is very, very unique. This is my next one. I would say it's it's one of two that I feel fairly confident we're gonna we're gonna overlap on. So we'll we'll see. This is right. and we had made the agreement that any two parters would be treated as one episode. So yes. this is season six, episode ten and eleven, the chain of command. Booyah. Yeah, there's no way you do a ten a top ten list and this doesn't make it. And um, this has one of the most, I think, iconic lines from Star Trek. And mm-hmm. before I give the synopsis of the episode, I just, I got to get it out there. If you Google there are four, lights is the number one thing that comes up. This episode is great. It uh, it it's it's got two stories. It's got a, a very really strong A and B story. But this is a two-parter where Picard's relieved of command of the Enterprise. It's transferred to Edward Jellicoe because Picard, Worf, and Beverly Crusher are going on a covert mission to investigate uh this this Cardassian outpost, looking for this like the secret weapon. And while this is going on, Jellicoe, who has a lot of experience with the Cardassians, is going to be negotiating with the Cardassians. Uh, the mission, it was a trap. Picard is captured, and he's brought into Gull Madrid, and he's basically tortured. This device is implanted in his body that makes his, his uh, like pain centers fire, and he's repeatedly tortured. Like, he's stripped naked, stripped of his identity, and... Uh, Gold Madrid basically plays these mind games with them. And one of the <clears throat> more prominent ones is there's four, a strip of four lights. And he asks Picard how many lights he sees. 
And Picard will say, oh, I see four. Well, there's only... Madrid keeps telling him there's five lights, and he'll cause him great pain when he doesn't see it. And then while this is going on, there's a lot of friction between Jellicoe and his leadership style and the rest of the Enterprise, particularly Riker. Like, Riker is relieved of duty, and everybody's kind of stressing out with that and the Cardassian negotiations. It's a good story, but it's all really about Captain Picard and overcoming his 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 torture and what i've heard about this episode is that i don't want to say captain or patrick stewart had reservations it's not so much that he had reservations but he he said if they were going to do it they couldn't they couldn't blink on the torture it had to be real it had to feel real that they want you wanted to see the emotional impact that it had on Picard. and at the end of the episode uh, right when he's leaving, Gol Madrid asks him how many lights he sees, and that's when he does the, there are four lights! My wife gets so mad because I say that all the time. <laughs> <laughs> and it's funny because he has this conversation with Deanna at the end of the episode, and he tells her, you know, he's like, I said that there were four lights, but I saw five. And it's, yeah. it, it really, it gets you questioning, like, because it, it sounds like, you know, in the end, if he hadn't kind of been rescued out of there and re- uh, negotiate, the return hadn't been negotiated, that he had started to break and he has to kind of deal with those scars. It's a great episode. And the fact that they, they did it so well and it wasn't heavy handed, but they didn't also, I, I, in an hourly show, even though it was, you know, a two-parter, it would have been really easy to to try to sugarcoat that and make it not feel as bad or degradating degradating as it was and it was just great yeah that was a phenomenal episode and i think i had that as my i'm probably gonna say my number five yeah i think that was that was my number five i feel we're in even if we haven't had this is like the first real episode that we've had in common, the other, no, the second one, we've, the episodes that we, that the, that I say I have picked or that you've picked the other did not, it's not like, man, that episode sucks. So I feel like we're in sync pretty, pretty, pretty much. Yeah. So far. Yeah. Yeah. Let's see if that well, holds up. we'll see. Some of my groaners have yet to come up. Okay. I have one that you were definitely going to groan on. Okay. So this was your number three, right? Yeah. Okay. So, uh, my number four, which is one that's usually included on mainstream lists. I didn't find it on any list I went through, but we went over briefly over it. Uh, my number four was Yesterday's Enterprise, which is uh, season three, <laughs> episode fifteen. Fuck you! Eat a bag of dicks and shut the fuck up. <laughs> so I can't remember. Do we talk about this on the air or off the air? My feelings on yesterday. We talked about that on the air too. That was on the air. Yeah. yeah. So, so I mean, it, it's it's just one that doesn't grab me, and maybe because I haven't watched it since I was probably like sixteen or seventeen. So okay. I, I haven't given myself the chance as an adult, but it's just one that I, I don't. This is. Go ahead. It, why don't you like it? Um. It's not that I I think it's a bad episode. It's just that we're everyone I've named so far has this huge uh, uh, message that transcends the the series, the episode, the series. I don't uh-huh. feel this one had that powerful of a message. I know, like no, I mean, I like the didn't. Enterprise C, 
And I mean, I've like there's a, a book all about it, and I like getting to know the crew. And I think it's very noble the sacrifice that they made, and how that is basically what cemented that dream of peace that we saw, you know, hinted at in the, uh, like, say, Star Trek Six. I like that. But at the end of the day, I mean, we've seen time travel before. I I find it difficult, and I guess part of it is I find it difficult to believe that uh, of a federation made up of you know, 150-something worlds that they couldn't overcome the the Kleons at this point in time with all of their ships and technology. And, I mean, it's not a bad episode. It's just, again, I feel there was nothing necessarily new brought into the mix. There wasn't. And I will be 100% honest. It's, uh, I, I did appreciate the, I, I guess you can call it the moral dilemma uh, of the Enterprise C's crew and the Enterprise D's crew of should we send these people back, you know, on the off chance that this will avert a 22 years worth of war or not because they weren't sure. No one was sure. The only one sure was Guinan. But anyway, okay, yeah, sorry. We skipped the freaking summary. Summary is Enterprise D encounters this weird freaking uh, time, uh, temporal anomaly and as it starts scanning it, they see a ship come out. And once that ship comes out of the temporal anom- uh, temporal anomaly, that's going to be a fucking mouthful, I can tell. Um, it changes the, I guess you can call it the present of the Enterprise D. And you see the Enterprise D shift from a ship of exploration and peace and diplomacy into a ship of war. And as the episode progresses, you come to find out. That it, the um, the Federation's been at war with the Klingons for 22 years, uh, right around right after the events of uh, Star Trek Six, I believe it was. Like you said, no, um, I think because I, I think it was the I get it's been like oh, probably uh, 15 years since I've seen the episode. Was it the attack at Kittimer? Which because that was the the attack that that orphaned Worf. So I, mm. I think that's it because Kittimer – because the peace talks in Star Trek Six that's right. 2293. I think it's um, – three might not be right. I'm not almost – I'm 90-something percent sure it's 2293. So that was right. about you know 70 years ago. But then there was a Klingon colony there, and that's what's attacked. And that's, right. that's where like the Romulans kill Worf's parents. So I – Again, right. I haven't watched the episode in a while, but I think it was that attack that they yeah, I think it, Yeah, I think it was that attack and – Basically, the Enterprise C was there and was trying to defend the Klingon outpost when all the weapons fire must have generated that temporal anomaly and shifted them 22 years into the future to encounter the Enterprise D. Now, Guinan, which I don't know shit about her species other than they are really fucking old and they can slightly sense temp, you know, time shifts. They like to Huh? They're they're a race of listeners. That's what they always say. They like to listen. Yeah. So basically, she can tell that you know the the, the time stream's out of whack. She presents this to Picard. Picard, who's known her forever, kind of under kind of sort of semi believes her. And you know, logically, it kind of makes sense if the Enterprise C did go down defending a Klingon outpost. The Klingons would see that as an honorable death and judge the Federation as honorable people and be willing to form a peaceful alliance with them and so on and so forth. So ultimately it's basically a decision. Would that crew want to go back into a no win situation? But here's the thing I fixated on in this, this episode. 
because the, 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 the moral dilemma was there. Tasha Yar. In the regular Star Trek Next Generation timeline, Tasha Yar died in season one, right? And she – we'll talk about her death in season one later. Anyhow, um, she's alive in this more warlike future and she gets confronted by Gai- – well, she doesn't get confronted by Guinan, but she notices that Guinan is treating her differently and it's because Guinan is aware that Tasha Yar should not be alive and that in the true timeline she's dead and – Upon Tasha's pressing her for the information, she tells her that she died in the in the true timeline, and it was a pointless death. Which fuck yes, it was. Jeez, um, and she Tasha Yar's Tasha is upset by this. In the meantime, Enterprise C tries to go back into the time into the time the temporal anomaly. There's some damage. The captain's killed. They're short-staffed. So Tasha decides she wants to transfer over to the Enterprise C. So she goes back in time with the Enterprise C and dies a valiant death fucking there. Which, correct me if I'm wrong, is this why she comes back later as like a Romulan? Yes, which is I think probably my biggest issue with the episode. Because your description, you've definitely convinced me I'm going to give it another uh, another try as an adult. But I think that the, the series undoes some of the the poignant message because it turns out that she's captured that that the alternate yar is captured and she's basically forcibly she's forced into this relationship with a romulan and there's a child who just happens to look just like a half romulan yeah tasha yar uh sella is born and then she becomes a uh antagonist of the enterprise in a spattering of episodes and Mm -hmm. i just I find her ridiculous, and right. the whole. That's why the, the the that's she's one of the reasons why the Spock two parter unification doesn't make my list because one there's she she's a she just she doesn't she detracts from any episode she's in and that episode just has some of its own issues. <laughs> but I'm hijacking your stuff, but yeah, that's, no, no, no. You I see her it. later in the several times in the later in the series, right? And, and you know, th- this episode, this this episode, there's another one that I sit there and I and I I think, who the hell knew Tasha Yar was such a pivotal freaking like character in the Next Generation universe? I mean, well, maybe not pivotal, but she was, she had a lot more impact than most secondary characters if you will generate i'm wondering if she had stayed on the show what impact that would have had on worf's character because if you watch that like first season it's like they're struggling to find things for worf to do so when she left he becomes the security chief and that's where he's kind of allowed to blossom i'm wondering if he would not have been as is a as pivotal of a character if it wasn't for her leave denise crosby leaving the show I I agree. I agree. And uh, I have several bones of contention with the first two seasons, but uh, (laughs) we're not there yet. But uh, so, yeah. So so there's my number. um, What what the fuck number was that? That was number four. Yeah. I would be floored (laughs) if you don't have my number four. Um, This is the one that I'm sure – Everybody is screaming at us why it wasn't if it wasn't our number one, why it wasn't our number two. This is probably the quintessential episode of the next generation, and it's 
there's not a top five, 10 or top 5 list that it's not on? Can you guess what episode I'm referring to? No, I can't. Okay. Um, I'm not going to say the, the name of the episode. I am just going to go straight into my clip. It is a two-parter. I think it is the most, in terms of story, the one that they've got the absolute most mileage out of. I am Locutus. Ah, okay. Ibor. No, not Ibor. No, it's futile. It is uh, Best of Both Worlds. Best of Both Worlds, yes, okay. Season 3, Episode 26, and Season 4, Episode 1. Um, yeah, so this one, the Borg were re- or were first introduced in Q-Hu-Hu. Well, yep. technically, there's a Season 1 episode where they start to lay the groundwork. Do you remember the Episode 26 of the original series, The Neutral Zone, where they go and them and the Romulans are trying to figure out why there's a bunch of outposts along the neutral zone missing. They, okay. It was the reason for that was it was supposed to be the Borg who did it. They were laying the groundwork for the Borg, but then they just kind of forgot about it for a season. And it never really, they never <laughs> said it in the show, but it was, that was supposed to be the reason that that's why they were just scooped up. Like we see the Borg do that was the uh, the Borg who did it. So anyway, but Q later in season uh, season two uh, shows us the Borg. Now a year later, uh, they they're back and they kidnap Captain Picard and they assimilate him to be their mouthpiece to to for, for they take him for his knowledge of Starfleet operations and of the Federation. And this is where we get the the huge fight at Wolf or Wolf three five nine and the eleven thousand people killed there and the whole episode it's Riker he's now captain of the Enterprise and it's him having to to come to terms with the decision if I find a way to kill the Borg I kill Picard and you see some super cool uh, leadership by Riker doing the unexpected coming up with these great strategies and in the end you know the Borg cube reaches Earth. And they blow it up in orbit, and they're able to get Captain Picard back. But this all comes back in Star Trek First Contact, where he has to come face-to-face with the Borg again. And it's, I mean, it is the quintessential episode of Next Gen. And again, I would, I can't, I, I, I don't think I, I could go online and find a top ten list that's not on. It's, it's everyone's. It, it is on everyone's top yeah. ten list, but not mine. Holy shit! <laughs> I cannot believe that you have blown my no, mind. My mind is blown, sir. It, it's an also it's an also ran. It is it is definitely a contender. It was a contender, but everything you said is true about that episode, and it is one of my favorites. But I just didn't throw it on there, man. <laughs> you, I just yeah, I you just blown my do, mind. It, well, okay, look to, to, to try and. <laughs> And and, and and boil down your favorite Next Generation episodes into only 10 is a fucking – there are very many so- Sophie's Choices involved. It is a very hard process. I mean you think about it. This is back when – you know this this was when you had a fucking TV series. You got a fucking TV series. You didn't just get 12 fucking skimpy ass one hour episodes. You got a full damn fucking 26 or more, okay? So, just do the math, man. 7 seasons, 26 episodes long each. Granted, there's some two-parters in there, but I I, I couldn't fucking just narrow it down to just 10. And 
unfortunately, Best of Both Worlds ended up on the cutting room floor for me. This is it, it, it is a great episode. I do love that episode. I think this but, episode more than any other episode I think of any series. Um, I can remember when this episode first aired, the first parter, and when we ended it with Picard is a Borg and he's just you got the laser beam from his head pointing into the camera and you uh-huh, see he's a uh-huh. Borg and it's like, Oh, enjoy your summer, see you guys in three months and both yep. me, my mom and my brother are like what the fuck? What the fuck? <laughs> yeah, I can't. I can't go three months without a resolution on this. I mean, there yes. were some episodes of Deep Space Nine where it's like, "This is going to kill me." But I mean, I was a little bit younger at this point, and this was just this was such a this seems so real and immediate in my mind. This, when I think of that, like that cliffhanger and having to wait, this is the episode that personifies it for me. Like that, this, and I remember. Uh, like my brother and I like talking about like our theories of like, Oh, these aliens from like this other episode are going to have to come in and like say, like coming up with these crazy theories for like things to be okay again. But for us to be left with everything fucked for the whole summer like this, I just remember as a kid, just, just the, what a big deal that was. And again, whenever I think of that, like having to wait for a season, uh, 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 premiere, uh, with a big cliffhanger, this is the episode that's like the schema for that in my mind. Yeah, I'll I'll, I'll agree with you there. That was definitely one of the the most cliffhanger episodes ever. I, I guess I guess I guess for me that was a very. I mean, look, okay, there were there were ethical questions involved. There was some great leadership demonstrated. Um, I don't think of. I don't think of Star, especially of the next generation, as being a series where I enjoyed the fighting. Yeah, uh, I would agree with that. Deep Space Nine did a much better job of the like conflict. Right. Well, I mean, Deep Space Nine was definitely like you're on the borders of of of, of known territory, and you've got this whole other quadrant opened up to you, uh, and it, it's it's still a little rough and tumble. Because you're not you're not dealing with the idealized federation Wait, I could, environment. Yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. I, would, I I think we could go on literally all night because yeah, because Deep Space Nine is my favorite TV series of all time. I mean, I just I there's a documentary that's supposed to be out by the end of this year, and I just I am just like counting the days down until that comes out. Like, I mean, definitive, not just the best start, but I mean, it's the best, my favorite TV show, hands down, that I I have ever seen and will ever see. But yeah, I I mean, you 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 don't need to defend leaving uh, Best of Both Worlds off. I'm just saying that it's people like you who voted for Hubert Humphrey and you killed Jesus. Mm. No, I mean it's okay. no, I mean you 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 I I. I I think you're definitely justified in leaving it out. And I guess this is my fault for making assumptions because it's just, it is literally like they they actually had this in theater like six years ago. Like they had the two parter in theater, like a limited run. It is. It it is one of the best ones. I I agree with you. It was quite ballsy leaving it off. That's a, Oh well, trust me. It, it got it got left off for some fucking real groaner material. You, you got shades <laughs> of gray, the clip show for season two on there. <laughs> Oh shit! Okay, so that was your four. number five. I think your I'm number four. Okay, so my number five. We went over my number five. My number five was Chain of Command. I think. Okay. Um. So, 
Let's yeah, because you you had that on higher. Mine was Chain of Command, and so what's your number five? We'll let you keep going. We'll keep going in order. My number five, and I wouldn't be surprised if this is on your list, but I wasn't going to take it for granted. But now I know, like where just all the rules are off the table. But uh, this is another two parter, and my uh, my number five, and it was hard for me to pick over which one, if best of both worlds, or this should have been my number four. But it's uh, episode, uh, or season five, episode 26, and season six, episode one, Time's Arrow. It was in the running for me. I didn't put it on, though. Go on. Here, uh, I am pulling up my audio. Sometimes this doesn't play right away. Poverty was eliminated on Earth a long time ago, and a lot of other things disappeared with it. Hopelessness, despair, cruelty. Young lady, I come from a time when men achieved power and wealth <laughs> by standing on the backs of the poor, where prejudice and intolerance are commonplace, and power is an end unto itself. And you're telling me that isn't how it is anymore? That's right. Maybe. <laughs> it's worth giving up cigars for, after all. Shut up, Wesley. So this is the episode where it starts out where in San Francisco they dig up uh, Data's head and they go to – they, they find a fossil that's uh, of an uh, organism that's only found on one planet. So the Enterprise-D shoots out there and when they get there, they're investigating these life forms that they think are going back to um, 19th century San Francisco. So – the uh, while they're investigating, Data gets shot back to 19th century San Francisco, and he meets Mark Twain, who is who we just heard in that pick or that uh, <laughs> clip. And he does the actor does an amazing job because Mark Twain is like menacing Data, <laughs> yeah, and trying to expose him. Data finds Guinan living on Earth at that time and recruits her as an ally. He meets Jack London, who wrote Call of the Wild, and it's just... I chose that clip because I think it does a, a good job of... Mark Twain, I'm not sure if you know this, he he was very critical of religion, and he was very against like racism. He was quite a progressive guy, and it really... Him being confronted with like this this... And understanding this utopian future, which is what he always was hoping for, but never thought humanity would find. It really embodies like the Federation's ideals. And it's just such a fun episode to see them uh, go back in time. And like the, the crew, when they get there, they're like conning this old lady out of paying their rent. And there's just, there's just <laughs> so much fun stuff that happens. I, I, this is another one that I watch constantly on Netflix. And I just, I, I love this episode a lot. And it's, if you guys haven't seen it, it's uh, usually the time travel ones are pretty good, but this one just with the the data being menaced by Mark Twain, it's 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 a lot of fun. Yeah, that's definitely one of my favorite ones too. Again, it, it's I, I put some stuff on there that was number one, just my favorites, and there is one like why in the fuck did I even bother putting that one on there on this list? And it it it, it goes to a point I've already made previously. So I think we can we can dispense with that and move on. <laughs> yeah, you, you've got a bit more talking to do because my number six was Measure of a Man, and we've already went over that. So we had a little bit of overlap, which is uh, 
letting you kind of uh, keep running with it. But I think we'll see once we get to uh, number seven, eight, nine, and ten. Uh, I, I think we're going to have a lot of uh, disparity here. A lot. Of yeah, disparity. we're. Yeah, I think. I think, and I think on the bottom running ones, we're going to have some 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 disparity for sure. <laughs> some disagreements. Okay, my okay. Uh, my number Was, six then. Yes. Um, I'm wondering if this made your list. If you're going for touchy feely episodes, this isn't one of them. People, this is a real controversial episode. People either really like it or really hate it. And this is actually like one of the few really gory episodes of Star Trek. And it actually it was edited uh, when it was appeared on British TV. This is my uh, my only episode from season one. This is season one, episode twenty five, conspiracy. And here's the gross scene that uh, that I, I know people who just this disgusts them and it just freaks them right out and they hate it. Other people, like me, I watch this one constantly. And here's the clip. We seek peaceful coexistence. (laughs) So that sound at the end is literally the guy exploding. It's like a pumpkin sound (laughs) as he literally explodes as they both phaser him. But so this episode... And this was this had the the issue with it was it started out as one thing and then Gene Ronberry kiboshed it. So the the conspiracy in this episode is that there's a conspiracy in Starfleet, and as it was originally written, was it was this cabal of officers who are going to try to take over Starfleet. And Gene didn't like that because he didn't like Starfleet officers. He's like, they would never do something like that. He wanted perfect characters, which we actually see an episode of Deep Space Nine where we see a cabal of officers try to institute martial law and take over Earth. So we do get that episode eventually. But yes. since Gene didn't like the conflict, that instead of them being in control of their actions, there's these little parasites called bluegills that go in like through the mouth and they have a little gill that sticks out of the, guy, the, like, the neck. And that like makes the host really strong. And there's like a scene where they're on Earth and they're all eating these bugs, and it's, you know, like Picard's disgusted by it. And I don't, if you haven't seen, it, I don't want to give too much of it away because it's. I would say there's a lot of really ridiculous stuff, like when this old admiral throws uh, Jordy LaForge through a door that is clearly made of cheap wood. But uh, it is a great episode. Just, just. If you're not grossed out at all with these parasites taking people over and these people eating like these insects, it's just. And then when you see the mother creature inside uh, uh, the character at the end, and they blow up his head, and then they blow him up, it's just it's it's a it's a fun one. It's not a deep one. There is not a deep message here. There's a few of mine that are just these real, just just cut and dry action ones, and this is one of those. Okay. Did it make you? Yeah. It did not make my list. <laughs> I, uh, I, I did. I had one from uh, season one, and it's definitely a what the fuck one. I'm going to save that one for last. I have uh, a uh, guess of what that one might be. I'm sure you do, but any. <laughs> Is it the one that we discussed earlier? No. No, I, I did not put Data Lore on there. I'm thinking that it might be Justice. The Wesley Crusher episode where he steps on a flower and they want to kill him? No. Okay. No. That it's actually... Even, it's it's even worse, okay? I almost put that one on. It was in consideration. The episode itself is terrible, but the the way that the crew deals with it 
and the just the overriding message of how the prime directives used and when is it okay to ignore it i thought was a tremendous episode uh message and it makes it a worthwhile watch right so what is so, your this is your seven so this is my seven basically seven through ten or i'd say seven through nine are interchangeable ten is definitely the bottom of the barrel for me do you think we're going to have an overlap i'm betting we're going to have one overlap I don't okay. know what I'm basing that on, but that's my – I'm going on the record. So what's your seven? Okay, so number seven for me is going to be season six, episode four, Relics. That was such a Sophie's choice for me, leaving that off. <laughs> I felt I felt like shit not having that one on my list. That was a hard one to ignore. That was a good choice. Yeah, okay, so this one – the only reasons why reason there are reasons, but the, the the reasons why this were included on my list are because number one, it had Scotty, yes. who's one of my favorite characters from the original series. Uh, number two, it had a fucking Dyson sphere, which is one of my favorite sci-fi constructs ever fucking you know devised. And number three, it, it dealt with someone that's fucking really old. And is trying to find their way with all this newer technology and shit, which is kind of how I'm probably going to be feeling in about 10 more years. So, yeah. It's a great one. No, that was a great choice. Yeah. I mean, there's nothing really action-packed about it. You know, it's it, it, it's just, you know, they, they find Scotty stranded on a Dyson Sphere somewhere. And they bring him back and they come to realize, you know, he comes to realize that he is – basically an antique and he doesn't understand a lot of this newfangled federation technology and uh, as he tries to learn it and 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 get himself um assimilated back into current status he um he kind of feels a little lost and eventually some of his old tricks kind of help them out of some sort of a crisis and he realizes that, yeah, even though he's old and antiquated, he still has a useful purpose. So it's 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 basically dealing with his struggle to find purpose and meaning within his life after he felt like he was an outdated older model that should have been obsolete. I'm really glad you had this one because, I, again, I felt terrible not having it. No, yet for all the reasons you said, this is a great episode. It's a quintessential one. Okay, so you're number seven. Oh, um, my number seven? It's my only entry from season seven. It is, Ooh. yeah, it's a great one. It is season seven, episode 12, The Pegasus. And ah, the, okay. this is by far my favorite sound clip. I actually took two, two sounds that were uh, uh, bites that were like a minute apart and combined them. And uh, this, this is just, I've been bugging my wife with this all day. So here we go, <laughs> The Pegasus. I don't know. I think the resemblance is rather striking. Wouldn't you agree, number one? Captain Picard Day? Oh, uh, yes, it's, uh, it's, it's for the children. I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm a role model. <laughs> I'm sure you are. <laughs> Starfleet out. So it starts out where they're having Captain Picard Day, and they're having to pick, like, the, like the, the children made their best, like, art projects of Captain Picard, and he has to pick the best. And there's a Captain Picard doll, and uh, <laughs> Riker does this great uh, impression and the actual reason that they started it off that way, because they were going to start it off on the holodeck, and they're like, we've, we're have we sick of doing the cold openings on the holodeck. It's kind of a cliche at this point. And 
I guess Jonathan Frakes would do that Patrick Stewart impression of like around the like the set, and they're like, "Work that in. That's great, and that's that's something that after you've done a show for like you're on the seventh season, you can have those fun moments." But yeah. uh, what makes this one great? It's the that Admiral we heard kind of mocking him with Captain Picard Day sends him on the secret mission where they're sent an admiral from Starfleet Intelligence who was. Will Riker's first captain, and it's played by the guy who played John Locke on Lost. And this ship that they the that they first served on, the Pegasus, uh, it was thought to be destroyed, but they think it's still out there. And while they're hunting for it, the Romulans are hunting for it. And Picard's not understanding why this like twelve year old ship would be of such vital importance. And you can definitely tell Riker and uh, the Admiral are holding something back. And is Picard's trying to unravel it. He finds out that when the ship was lost, it was due to a um, uh, the the crew had mutinied, and Riker, fresh out of the academy, had like defended his captain, and they got to the escape pods. But the uh, that when there was a hearing, it was definitely it seems like these people are hiding something. And what we learn that they're hiding is that the Pegasus had a cloaking device, and it wasn't which is uh, outlawed by the Treaty of Algaron. And not only was it a, uh, a cloaking device, but it, we saw this in a previous episode. It can phase through matter. So the there's this cabal of admirals who don't like that we've signed this treaty and it's tying our hands. So they basically broke the treaty and this was a testbed for that technology. And that's why the crew rebelled. Well, the Enterprise gets stuck in this asteroid. They're able to recover the cloaking device. Because, and then Riker comes clean with... Uh, Picard, and you see at the end of the episode, he uh, he's actually in the brig. Him and the uh, the admiral are put in the brig, and this puts his career in jeopardy. And uh, he really has to come face to face with his past decisions. Where the whole episode, you know, the admiral is praising his action that you did the right thing, you followed orders, you know, you followed the chain of command, and this thing that he did twelve years ago, he realizes that. You know, if this was me right now, I would have been a mutineer too. And that, you know, you manipulated me as a younger ensign when I didn't know any better. And now I have to, this thing that I thought was buried in my past, I have to come uh, face to face with my mistake. And you would see they kept offering Riker commands. And it's not like there's a whole lot of show left, but this was a huge black mark. And I think this explains why you don't see Riker get offered a command for a long time after that because that really lessened his his credibility in people's eyes because that was a major, major, major uh, violation of Federation law. It's a really good episode. Yeah, I remember that one very, very fondly. And it was definitely on my, uh, on my like, to be considered one. Uh, I didn't throw it in there just because I, I had other other aspects of it that I thought were other aspects of of the show that I thought were a little more appealing to just me. So now I'm less sure if we're gonna have an overlapping one, but we'll uh, we'll see. Okay. Well, I mean, I was I was watching this one uh, before you you called me. Yeah, this is my number eight, I guess you can call it. Um, and it, it goes on to it's 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 my only one from season seven as well. Uh, this is Lower Decks, which uh, basically it, it's it, it gives you a glimpse into the lower 
commissioned officers uh, of the enterprise, you know, the ensigns that are trying, vying for promotion, lieutenant, and so on and so forth. And it centers around uh, four of these uh, lower ranking officers kind of struggling through their crew evaluations and also the senior officers that are evaluating them for promotion within the uh, within the ship's rank structure. Um, and, and as it goes on, there is a crisis and these four younger officers have their medal tested and so on. And, you know, it, it, it's it, it's not a particularly dramatic episode. It's not one that freaking, you know, spews off any ideals. It, it, it is a very good kind of day in the life of the crew episode, which I think with all the gravitas and, and all the, the groaners and all the action, there needs to be at least something that shows that, hey, look, you know, these this this is someone's job. It's not like it's it's not all grand ideals and freaking exploration and fighting Romulans and dealing with temporal anomalies like. 90% of the time, it's a pretty routine job that they're doing. No, I, I, I absolutely. I, I love this one. And like you said, it's so we have like seven seasons of episodes that all focus around like the same seven characters. There's a thousand right. people on that ship. It's nice to see when, you know, Picard's not negotiating a treaty that's going to affect galactic politics or, you know, Riker's not. Uh, <clears throat> saving the day by seducing some alien woman that there's uh, an ensign who's contributing to this by making sure he's he's inventorying all the tricorders and that they're put away properly <laughs> hey, you know what without inventorying and checking the batteries or whatever power supplies are on all those tricorders he might have saved the day because what if one of them was bad exactly i mean that's that those things have to be done and we always see the like larger in life like I got sent to you know three different dimensions this week, but while you know, you're the lieutenant commander doing that, there's literally an ensign making sure that the hallways are free of obstructions, or that all the phasers have, like you said, have been fully charged. Yeah, all the phasers are charged. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that's yeah, that's why I threw that one on there. So what do you got for your eight? Okay, I would say that my eight, yeah, it's it's harder with these. I'm gonna go with. Season 4, episode 15's First Contact. Okay. And this is... No, I'd say this is... If it's not the Pegasus, this is my favorite clip, and it's because Riker sells it so well. So, okay, in this episode, there's this planet that's about to achieve warp flight. So the Enterprise sends uh, Riker in. He undercover. There's several operatives who were disguised as the aliens who were just checking out the society to see if they're ready for first contact because one of the big uh, quantifiers for that is when they reach warp flight, they're about to do so. So they're just doing their research. Well, anyway, there's a, uh, like a riot that uh, Riker's caught in and he gets sent to this hospital and they notice very quickly that his anatomy isn't lining up and that they suspect he's an alien. So while this is going on, Picard has to reveal himself to the government prematurely and it's them trying to figure out where Riker is. But also it's the him trying to gain trust with this alien government when now they're off on the wrong foot. And it really kind of shows that that per, how first contacts can happen, how they can go right, how they can go wrong, and what happens when a society isn't necessarily ready or has a bad first contact. But it has the most awkward interaction I think Riker has ever had, and it's hilarious, and here it is. <laughs> 
I have to get back on my ship in space. I believe you. Now, will you help me? If you make love to me. What? <laughs> <laughs> so great. I love like the two second pause. What? <laughs> and because at one point, yeah, he's he's trying to get out of the hospital because they realize that he's an alien and they're going to give him to the military. And so this woman, she's always fantasized about making love to an alien. And so he thinks that he has her convinced, like, yeah, you got to let me go. And out of nowhere, she's like, yeah, but we, you have to fuck me first. What? Like, it's totally, <laughs> he did not see that coming, and it totally caught him flat-footed. Oh, man. I didn't want to watch that just to see, hear that, watch that little interaction. <laughs> yeah, uh, Jonathan Frakes sells that so well. Oh, man. Wow. Yeah. I yeah, and and that does kind of cover some of the the more interesting aspects of the ideals of the Star Trek universe are how they handle first contact. Um especially with the I mean the Enterprise could literally lay waste to that planet. So when like the military is trying to play hardball a little bit about, you know, if we find him this is what we want to do, you know, the Enterprise could just, you know, you guys are going to let us comb the planet and find our officer and we don't give a fuck what this does to your society. But even with you know with all that power, it's the Federation. They're so controlled with it, they're willing to put Riker in risk because they're not willing to disrupt this other society. And that's where you get to see the uh, you just because mm. you have the power, you don't need to use it. And I think that's something that sometimes we struggle with in the Western our Western society, and just the restraint with their power and their respect of these people are a couple hundred years behind them. Uh, technologically and they never treat them like inferiors they always treat them like equals and i just i i, I really dig the message okay now um, devil's advocating here how the hell did they not detect the enterprise um it's been a while since i've watched this one i think it was hidden behind a moon or uh, okay something like something along those lines yeah they usually hide behind some sort of a moon or something yeah seems legit it's kind of a, a used trope but uh, I I could be wrong. I can. Uh, summary, yeah, I, don't you don't need to write in and say you know there was an asteroid built. You fucking idiot. No, I'm saying that it's been. Yeah, no, I, I mean I remember. Yeah. I, I remember uh, from my my run through of Voyager. There was a point where Voyager went to Earth, went back in time to Earth in like the 90s or something. Yeah. And uh, they basically used uh, active electronic countermeasures to kind of scramble everything that was looking at them. Yeah, till the camcorder <laughs> footage of them got shot, <laughs> sent on the news. Well, yeah, that's what happens when you're doing a low-flying pass through San Francisco. <laughs> My favorite part of that episode is when Bolana Torres is captured by a uh, an anti-government militia member because it was 1996, and that's the most 1996 thing you can have happen in American right. culture. <laughs> right. Yeah, go figure. Uh, I was sad Sarah Silverman didn't take a, a little bit more part in the series after that. She, uh, her character appeared later in, uh, uh, one of the books. All right. Yeah. I, th- I remember you telling me that about, about her. Um, so I guess we're on to number nine. Number nine. Ah, <sighs> number nine. So my number nine, and I was, it was going to go in line with your Pegasus one. Cause it, it also had an admiral that was, uh, you know, telling Jean-Luc Picard one thing and telling his subordinate that was on board another thing. Uh, about, bam, you yes! got it. 
Ants in a Row, Season was a 5, close, Episode 3. Very close one for me. I'm sorry I, I stole the reveal, but no, yes. No, 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 no. I'm glad you got it. I, I'm glad I, you got it. She was one of my favorite characters from the show, and it's a good episode. Yeah, so this is the introduction of Ants in a Row, who is uh, a, a character that's – yeah, she's a and the Bajorans. Yeah, she's a character that has a rather troubled past. Uh, she's confrontational. Uh, I, I think uh, one of the things that Roddenberry did not like was infighting amongst the crew, mm-hmm. and Ensign Rose' appearance definitely had her contradicting uh, Riker and Picard at every opportunity and, and clashing with them. Um. And yeah, basically it was – there was an attack on a Federation outpost somewhere near Bajor and it was suspected that Bajoran freedom fighters were the cause of it and the Enterprises dispatched to track down these Bajoran freedom fighters by, uh, by, by an admiral and he attached Ensign Road to the crew. Because he felt she would be indispensable to this mission. So indispensable that he got her out of jail. <laughs> uh, so uh, he had uh, he had given Ensign Rowe uh, secret instructions for her to carry out separate from uh, what the Enterprise was doing. And basically it was funneling information back to him. So as the Enterprise is going about trying to track down these terrorists and interrogate them and find out what's going on, Ensign Rose reporting this back to her admiral. Turns out uh, the attack was basically done by Cardassians in order to get the Federation to sniff out this Bajoran terrorist cell because they had had no luck doing it. Yeah, it was an Alex Jones false flag. Exactly. It was totally an Alex Jones false flag. And, uh, you know, this Admiral, I, I love the very end, the end of it, where Picard just dresses this Admiral down. Basically, the Admiral was duped, and Picard calls him on it because, you know, when he go, when, when the truth comes to light about what's been going on through some pretty uh, tricky maneuvering and scheming by Picard, the Admiral's like, well, why would such a thing happen? And Picard basically tells him, well, they were hoping they would find a Starfleet admiral as naive as you to lead them to the Bajorans, which ah, was funny to see the look on the guy's face when he called him a naive idiot. <laughs> I, it's a good episode. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, I love, yeah, would, yeah, like Picard just rubs his nose in it. Yes. I love when Picard confines Ensign Rowe to her quarters and Guinan comes into her his ready room with Ensign Rowe and the look on Picard's face, it's like he just ate a piece of shit. <laughs> yes. Said, I can find you to quarters, Ensign. Well, Guinan said I should come in. Guinan does not. It just, well, and just, and then how Guinan just stops Picard cold. Yes. She's my friend. And then he just stops. Yep. Yes. And it, it's definitely an episode that kind of, I don't know. I don't know if there's ever was a point that really explained the, explained the backstory between Guinan and Picard, but that episode does show how strong uh, the the trust between the two of them is. When Guinan just simply says, "She's my friend," and he just stops and he's like, "Okay, I'll listen." Yeah, because he because basically Guinan had her disobey his direct orders and leave her quarters and come here, and yeah, it just in the middle of like. 
because this was a decision as a captain he made, and this civilian Guinan contradicted him, barges into his ready room, is like, you're going to listen to what she has to say, and he just stops and does absolutely that. So yeah, it really is hinting at the, like you said, the strength of that bond. Yeah, it's a well, great yeah. episode. Yeah, it ties back with yesterday's Enterprise. That's another hint at the strength of the bond between Guinan and Picard, where he's willing to believe her about this whole time travel thing, but we're we're jumping around there. And and uh, uh, Time's Arrow, because it's where they first meet. So And Measure yeah. of a Man, had, it was Guinan who kind of steered Picard to the right direction in his defense. So I think we're kind of, we're finding some of these similarity or these these running threads that Guinan episodes tend to be really good. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, so okay, so um, my number nine. We talked about all the strong episode or messages in Star Trek. This episode has none. It's just a really fun action one, and it uh, it's it's really fun. It's season six, episode eighteen, Starship Mine. And not only did it have a lot of good action, but it had some really funny moments where Data is trying to learn small talk. And there's uh, Commander Hutchinson, who all he does is small talk. And it's just they're out trying to out like smart or uh, uh, small talk each other. But uh, it all the trouble starts with the Enterprise is getting this Baryon sweep where they have to evacuate the ship. And right before the Baryon sweep starts, Captain Picard goes up to the ship for his saddle. And there's this running thing where everyone's like, I didn't know he had a saddle. Which, actually, here's a little bit of that right now. Hey, Captain, you keep a saddle on board? Mr. Worf, I'm surprised at you. Anyone who is an experienced rider naturally has his own saddle. It's perfectly normal. And this is at the end of the episode when after <laughs> all the action is done, they had security teams sweeping the ship trying to find his lost saddle. But uh, he goes back to the ship and it, it's he finds these uh, this team there and he wonders what they're doing and it's what they're really doing is they're there to steal I think it's trilithium which they're going to sell to terrorists for a weapon so now it's Picard by himself cut off from the rest of the team and he has to it's like a, it's like I make fun of Voyager for the Die Hard in Space episodes this was the quintessential Die Hard in Space he's John McClane with, you know, the like, phasers don't work with the Baryon sweep going on. And it's just, as the thing sweeps for the ship, if you touch the field, you die. And it's so, it's going from uh, the aft to the, I believe it's the stern. And it's just, they have to get to 10 forward, which is the furthest, uh, the, uh, the, 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 the very front of the ship. And he's like picking off these terror, like these these thieves one by one. Like at one point, you see he goes into Worf's quarters and he steals like a bow, and uh, in a very unstarfleet like way, because the terrorist leader, I guess it is because of the general gender new- neutrality, the terrorist leader is a woman, and he just punches her in the face at the end of the episode. <laughs> but it's very much an actiony one. But at one point, like when they first capture him, he's pretending to. Uh, to be afraid, and when they ask who he is, he's like, "I'm Mott the Barber," which we've seen, you know, Mister Mott the Bullion uh, mm-hmm. uh, Barber, and it's funny they don't realize because at one point she's like, "Me, you seem to know what you're doing. Maybe you're a lieutenant or a lieutenant commander," not realizing that this guy who's killing them one by one is Captain Picard. And make no mistake, every terrorist dies in that episode. Like they get left mm-hmm. to the sweep, or yeah, it is. It is a 
it is a very actiony one, and it's the exact opposite of all the touchy feeling or high moral <laughs> ones we were talking about. But it's a lot of fun. Okay, so yeah, that was a good one. I did enjoy that one. Um, I haven't watched that one probably in a few years, I but I do remember that it being like the uh, the ultimate Die Hard in space one. I'm eager to hear your number ten from season one. Okay, the number 10 from season one, if you haven't guessed it already, uh, from what I've said throughout this whole thing, is Skin of Evil. Yeah, why does, si- what, silence. Yeah, what, what made you choose? I'm not saying it's a bad a bad choice. I'm, what I think it's it, horrible. I It's been a while since I've watched it. I guess what's I, always turned me off about it was... And maybe I'm remembering it incorrectly because it, it, it's just – it is the senselessness of Tasha's death. But it's it's very clear that – I think the guy's name was Armis. He's going yes. to – he's doing terrible things to them. And it's – she's just like, I'm going to get to that shuttle. And even though she knows he has all this power, she runs just like full speed at him. There was no reason for her to do that as the security chief. It seemed very – I think they could have come up with a better way. Still had it be that meaningless kind of death, but not look make her look in my at least in my mind look as incompetent. And that's kind of what right. it always read like to me. But no, I think it's right. it's all about their reactions to her death at the end, and I think that's very strong. And yes. as a kid, when Riker gets I'm pull I'm co opting your episode again. I'm sorry. When Riker gets pulled in, and you see his face in the goo. As a kid, that really kind of disturbed me. Okay, so, so I'm sorry. No, 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 no. You're you're, you're absolutely right, and I, I appreciate your perspective on it. I think this was just <sighs> number one. There was the senselessness of Tasha Yar's death, which I understand. It was it was a plot device to to get her off the ship because Denise Crosby, the actress who played her, wanted out. I get that. The villain, though. The villain sucked so much ass. Armis was horrible. Like, it was... Okay. There are redeeming qualities in this episode. However, I'm not going to go over those just yet. The... the, the, the it, ah, season one of The Next Generation, and, and to a lesser extent, season two, were a little rough around the edges. And anybody who's watched the show... Will 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 agree that they are a little rough. I mean, the cast and crew were kind of getting to know each other and figuring each other out, and they were kind of getting some of the rough edges of what worked for the show, kind of smoothed out to to what was functional. I mean, they still had the freaking hot little mini dress uniforms in season one, which were awesome. Yeah, the but, scans uh, were awesome. But um, there are so many things that were so bad. Number one. The stupid musical stingers that they put in were just like the worst B-level sci-fi movie shit. They're laughing bad. They are so bad. And this episode was chock full of that crap. I mean, it was horrible. The stingers they had everywhere. It was just – no. The, the the music was bad. I mean, I'm glad like around season three they finally went with more of an orchestral arrangement for for their soundtrack because that's that's timeless and it works really well the this schlocky sci-fi noises that they were throwing in there just just oh they were horrible uh the villain though armis you know he's basically a fucking gelatinous glob that 
for no fucking apparent reason, like, you know, morphs into a man shape about 10 times throughout the episode. And they needed to focus on him fucking morphing out of the goo that was him into this man shape thing. But I found that a complete fucking utter waste of time. Okay, so anyway, so sorry, we've totally skipped the summary. Uh, Troy and another crewman are returning back from some conference thing. Their shuttle goes down. Enterprise goes to investigate it. As they investigate, they find this greasy oil slick that looks like, I don't know, the residue you found in an Italian mobster's fucking shower. I'm not sure. It just looked like so much hair fucking gel product. It was just this oil slick looking thing. And Tasha Yar goes to try to get to the, the crew that are trapped in the shuttle because this oil slick thing keeps moving to block them. And she gets killed in like one fell swoop, one blow, boom. She gets this weird funky purple tattoo on her face and she's dead. Uh, the crew has to deal with that loss because she was, you know, a beloved member of the crew. Troy psychoanalyzes this freaking goop which turns out to be uh, the skin of evil, which is like the race that lived on this planet, found a way to fucking send all their evil out of their bodies and had it pool up on the surface and it gained sentience. Uh, apparently it has daddy issues because it feels abandoned. Uh, and Troy, Troy psychoanalyzes it. And through that, they manage to figure out how to not so much defeat it, but escape it because it generated EM fields that stopped them from using the transporters. Um, the crew has to deal with the death of Tashiar, which I think was like the first major death of the series. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it, it was ultimately a pointless death. It, yeah, pretty much it was a pointless death because there's no reason she had to die, you know, as far as the story goes. Um, and it, it gets called out, like I said, in yesterday's Enterprise that she died of fucking meaningless death because – there's nothing gained by it. She didn't she didn't further anything at all by dying, by taking that risk and dying for the crew. It, it did nothing. It, it didn't help resolve anything. So uh so my you know the, the way that whole thing went, the way the whole episode was shot, uh it, it is the most schlocky because I mean it's like a barren world, a couple of fucking paper mache rocks somewhere, a shitty freaking shuttle freaking fucking uh, everything everything looked like it was done on some schlocky fucking 1950s sci-fi movie set. Uh, and it just was for me a very dissatisfying experience. And I put it on my list because it was an example of the most tropey science fiction-y kind of cheesy. But it's, you know, part of Star Trek. But, but... The one saving grace of this entire episode is that Tasha Yar had recorded her own eulogy, and it was a fucking phenomenal eulogy at the very end. And that was the only good part of the episode. I, I, I will always remember the eulogy, you know, and, and how she pointed out the, the, the core character attributes of each of the characters, Worf, Troy, uh, Crusher, uh, Data, and Picard – and she, she gives the, the, the core aspect of their characters a summary that the viewers can really get if they're not familiar with the series. And then she kind of vanishes into the aether and she's gone. So, yeah. And it also, you know, 
throughout the whole series, Tasha Yar seems to have been a relatively important secondary character for some fucking reason. I mean, she, I agree with her. It's, she, they never really figured out how to use her. And that was kind of, at least that's the reason that she gives for leaving the show. I actually, I heard something a couple weeks ago, like Brett Spiner was telling a story that, uh, when they were shooting the uh, that final eulogy scene, and it's you know it's like a blue sky and some green hills, yeah, because um, they were they were goofing around a lot that episode, and as soon as uh, like they got out there, uh, Patrick Stewart started spinning around with his arms out, singing like the hills are <laughs> the sounds. Awesome, yeah. I mean, it's this very somber scene, and that's like how he started out. Um. I wonder why they they chose to kill her though. I mean, because Beverly Crusher left for a season because they they actually fired her. They fired mm-hmm. Gates McFadden, and then they the crew had they hadn't hadn't really gelled with the with Pulaski, and they had kind of leaned on the producers to hire Gates McFadden back. But uh, you know, they just had her reassigned. I'm wondering why they just didn't like, oh, that shithole planet you're from. It's a democracy now, and. Uh, your skills would be valuable there. Like Starfleet is sending you to to uh, to go, uh, you know, uh, help out with the uh, the peace process. Goodbye, everybody. I wonder why they chose to kill, her. especially when she kept coming back. She was willing to come. Yeah. back. Yeah, I mean, I wonder if there was some sort of bad blood, and they just wanted to fucking offer in the most like asshole. pointless way. Yeah, the most assholey way possible. But yeah, you're right. They kept using her. She kept coming back. So what the fuck? She taught going back to uh, Measure of a Man that at one point data he shows that he has a hologram of her and that she actually came back to shoot that. So oh, cool. So yeah, she continued. But yeah, it's uh, it's an important episode because of yeah the Tasha Yar stuff. Uh, yeah, I didn't see that one coming. <laughs> Oh, I told you there was a what the fuck moment. I I too have a what the fuck. All right. My episode or uh, ten. This is one that again the writer he uh, he didn't want his name on it because he was very unhappy with the changes. This is one that gets shredded by fans, and it's I can't imagine many people even thinking about this episode at the same ter- like it, when you're considering a top ten. But uh, my top, my number 10, it's the Royale, which is season two, episode 12. And for those of you who don't remember, because it, it, for many people, it's a forgettable episode. It's, they're surveying a planet that has like this super hostile, like pressure and atmosphere and temperature. And there's just this revolving door. It's just, just sitting there. And when they go, they send, and there's like a pocket of air around it. So when Data, Riker, and Worf beam through, it's this night or beam down there and go through the door. It's a 1980s casino, and they get stuck there. And it's mm-hmm. it feel so. The question is, why the hell would anybody choose this episode? It felt very much like an original series episode to me. It felt a lot like. Do you remember a piece of the action where they go to the mobster planet? Yes. It felt very much like that. And it's the... I, I liked some of the larger-than-life sort of motifs that Star Trek does. And what we find out is why this thing is there. It was there was this NASA spacecraft that these aliens, they accidentally kind of had moved it out of our solar system and around this planet. And they had killed 
everybody on board except for this colonel. And so to make a habitat for them, they had this really shitty dime store uh, like crime novel, and they used that as a basis, as like a habitat for him. So again, why would if you had all this power, why wouldn't you just send him back to Earth? Or like the and it's just the beans that we don't. The only thing we know about them is they're so powerful, but yet their thought process is so alien to us that they that they had the power to almost make a living holodeck based off this shitty novel. <laughs> and this guy, he died there. He lived there like thirty years, stuck in this terribly written novel. And with these shadows of characters who just are just two-dimensional. And, I mean, that would be hell. And he, even when they find his corpse, he's like, the last 30 years have been hell. But he's like, I forgive the aliens. They don't realize the hell and torture that they put me through. <laughs> so now, Riker and them are stuck on the, in this uh, casino. And at one point, they, they figure out that if they've taken the roles of these foreign investors, and if they, can, they figure out if they can complete the story, they can get out. And you can tell they had like a lot of fun with this, and it's just it's so surreal. And I real I like when Star Trek is super serious, but I like when they every like season when they do like Deep Space Nine would do like a ridiculous Ferengi yeah. episode. This yes. was a ridiculous episode, and here's some audio, and you can see exactly why it's ridiculous. And I think this is right after Data had Riker blow on some dice because they're having d- Data cheat at uh, craps. To, uh, to, to break the bank to escape. <laughs> but here we go. We need some spreading around, money data. Sir? Bet it all. Here you go. Little something for you, Ziggy. Little something for those cocktail waitresses. To run this outside, give it to the parking lot attendant. You're very kind, sir. Here you go, Vanessa. Little something for you, too. Thank you. When the train comes in, everybody rides. You can tell just <laughs> Riker's having the time of his fucking life shooting this. And again, oh, it's yeah. just, it's so, the con, like again, the, like, like V'ger had captured my imagination. I would have loved like a book or something where somebody explored how weird these aliens are and how this is what they thought was like a, whoa, we fixed the problem. We, 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 we took the worst <laughs> book ever and created a habitat. Here you go. Live out the next 50 years of your life, man. Everything's good. And then yep. just and how it just surreal everything is in there. It was I watched this one. I was not gonna put this one on the list because I know it's not a good episode, but I realize I watch this one all the fucking time because it's just so funny. Them yeah. just not understanding all this eighties stuff that's going on in the uh the the casino and their weird interactions and then Picard and Troy reading the novel it's based off of and just commenting on how terrible it is like it starts with it was a dark and stormy night and it's just <laughs> it's just it, there's a lot of slapstick sort of uh humor in it and it's it the original ending to it was that there was a female crewman who gets killed in the casino and the the astronaut who they find dead when he died it's like his consciousness became part of the casino and he was like a character and couldn't leave with them. Well, the same thing happened to the female crew member and they have to leave her behind and she becomes a companion for the other that guy who's stuck there. That takes all the fun out of the episode, the ridiculousness yeah. and makes it really tragic. This one is just hilarious to me. I just it's it's like a living holodeck that they can't control, but it's just bewildering, bewildering and weird and it's just it's funny for me. I don't know yeah, if you remember, I remember that episode uh, very fondly. 
Okay, I'm not the only... Because if you ever look this one up online, people think it's fucking terrible. And I think that when they made it... I think Riker had a lot of good time with it, or a good time, and Data did. But, I mean, it was fucking... It, I think a lot of people hate this, because it's ridiculous. Yeah, uh, I, I mean... One thing I do appreciate about all the Star Trek shows is every once in a while, at least once a season or so... They they let their hair down and do something silly, you know. And the next generation really didn't have the Ferengi to fall on, like uh, DS9 did, and even Voyager to went and used the Ferengi as a humorous foil for an episode or two. So uh, the lighthearted, whimsical episodes, I I actually enjoy those. I I think those are fun. Yeah, when they're done well, which I, I mean, this one. You could argue that it wasn't, but I mean the the humor worked well, and it just it for me this it makes it a, an episode. I like I said, I watch it all the time. I love it. Yeah, it's the Royale was a, a good one for sure. Do you remember Doctor Acula? He is the uh, the person who left us our first iTunes review. Uh huh. He has given us feedback. Oh, one all right, of, Doc. Yeah, one of his favorite episodes is the Next Gen because he's a big Star Trek fan. Was episode five, or, is she, or I keep doing that, season five, episode twenty-three, I Borg, and that okay. is that's where they find the uh, the Borg cut off from the collective, and they find Hugh, who's a Borg cut off, and his individuality starts to reassert itself, and Starfleet wants to use him as a weapon. And Riker overrule or Picard overrules that and uh, lets him explore his humanity and uh, and uh, does not doom him as a uh, like basically a suicide bomber back to the collective. Right, and and that that story ends up on a lot of top ten lists. It, it, I It is a good one, and it is it is another okay. So oddly enough, it gets replayed in Voyager though, with, because with the, each the, have, right. Ichim, right, because Ichim was basically a genetic weapon, a genetic, a genetically engineered weapon to destroy the Borg, and he succeeded in destroying the sphere that he was on, unbeknownst to him, and that's when Voyager recovered him, and then they found his original planet, and they brought him back there, and then uh, the the residents of his of the planet that were claiming to be his parents did exactly the same thing. They launched him right back out at the freaking Borg so that, you know, they could exterminate him. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a good one. Like you said, and it's yeah, the Voyager borrowed a little bit from it. Yeah. Um, my mom weighed in. Ooh. My mom had another season five episode season or it's season five, episode 20 cost of living. And this was a Loxana Troy episode. And this is the one where she's, hanging out with Alexander Roshenko and she's going to get married. And for my mom, what she loves about this is that Loxana, she's giving up a lot of what she wants to do in this wedding to satisfy her husband to be. And there's a scene where, because Betazoids get married naked, where uh, Counselor Troy is mortified. What do you mean you're not going to be naked at your own wedding? And it ends with the ceremony and Loxana walks in naked, and the the her groom is so scandalized, like he storms out of the wedding. But for those reasons, my mom chose it. She loved the Loxana Troy episodes, and this was her favorite. Just how the how scandalized Troy was that her mom <laughs> wouldn't be naked at her own wedding. Funny, funny, very funny. Yeah, I 
I did like the Luxon and Troy uh, episodes. They were good. They they all were they were actually a little more fun. Yeah, some people really hate them. Yeah, I always enjoyed them. There, she was a good comic relief. Yeah, she was good comic relief, and she was she was a force of nature unto herself. Okay, like there was nothing that fucking stopped her. I can't. Or I'm looking at my list, and I when I started this, there was an episode that I was sure that was going to make my list that didn't make it, and because I'm looking at some of my Sophie's choices here. And the chase was one. That's where everybody's trying to figure out, like, or find these different pieces of DNA. And it turns out that there was this ancient uh, race that had seeded their DNA through the galaxy. And that's why everybody in Star Trek looks the same. And the whole (laughs) message is we're all, you know, we all have bits of the same DNA. We're all related. So don't, you know, there's no need for this war or this conflict. Um,. Parallels where Worf is going from dimension to dimension is a good one. Um, mm-hmm. Another one that was a Sophie's choice for me was Tapestry, where Q lets Picard go back in time to avoid the artificial heart, and he's kind of like uh, confronting some of his decisions or earlier in life. I don't know hmm. if you had some of these Sophie's choice ones. Mm, just... No, no. I, I once I got down like to the top fifteen, I was I was good to go. Um, yeah, I, I the only one I kind of struggled a little bit with was uh I think data lore I wanted to throw in there just because it, it was something that established uh a, a little bit about data's past and what happened with uh with uh, his home world and also gets you two two villains that come back in the Star Trek universe lore of course and uh, the crystalline entity makes another appearance later on in the series, if I recall correctly. I, I just saw an article. They added the crystalline entity to Star Trek Online recently. Oh, really? Yeah. Mm, might be worth checking it out. Yeah. And Data Lore, it's quite famous online because it it was the birthplace of... Shut up, Wesley! Exactly. <laughs> so many shut up Wesleys in that episode. It was great. It's there's a Star Trek podcast. It's the the Greatest Generation, and they went through and did kind of funny commentaries for all episodes of the Next Generation. And their season one was funny because there's many episodes whenever Wesley's men, uh, mentioned, it's usually Picard, but somebody will say the boy, and they found they just found that rather humorous. And throughout the entire season or series, it's like whatever anybody would say, but that were the other one would bring up uh, Wesley, they'd say the boy. Mm-hmm. But it's just how he's – they have very weird interactions with Wesley that first season. And it's just the the way – it took them a while to figure out how to use Wesley appropriately. And, yeah, it's, that first season's kind of wonky. The boy? <laughs> oh, man. This, is, this has been a great episode. And I know my wife is going to be uh, excited that it's out of the way because I was driving her nuts with the, the Star Trek soundboard I made. <laughs> oh, I'm sure. Yeah, she's. I, I made her watch Deep Space Nine, and she 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 enjoyed it. She uh, makes fun of Next Gen a lot, which it's a product of when it was made. Yeah, and and I mean, I don't know. I remember watching Next Gen. Yeah, Next Generation is the one that I watched the most when I was younger. Me too. And I definitely remember watching it every single week. I think it came on Saturday nights where I was at because it was a syndicated show. Yeah. 
and I loved it. I would, I just, I would watch it and watch it and watch it. And I, I think I watched that show from like almost, I want to say almost elementary school till I graduated high school. Yeah, I, I can remember because it was eighty-seven to ninety-four, and I was flipping through the channels one day when I mean it was season one. I I can't remember the very first episode. It might have been Haven. But I can remember flipping it on, and I had watched a lot of like the original series with my mom, and mm-hmm. I had saw the show, and it was like the next week or so that it came on. I was like, "Mom, did you know that there's like another Star Trek?" And she's like, "What?" And it was her, my brother, and I. We that was one of the shows that we'd like watch as a family. So I mean, it was one of the we had caught it from al- almost the beginning. And I can remember, like, season two with, like, the first episode with Guinan, like, who's this person? And then with season three, like, why are the uniforms different? And, the, uh, mm-hmm. and like you said, it, I grew up with it. And uh, it's, it's funny, at, going back on the rewatches, season seven doesn't hold up as well as uh, I, I remember. No, but, I mean, they've pretty much done everything they could. I mean, what else could they really do without reiterating? No, that's that's true. I, what made season there's a lot of good character moments in season seven because of how comfortable the cast is with each other. But yeah, it's right. like some of the it felt like a lot of the ideas had run their course. Yeah, uh, um, yeah. I mean, it's nice that you got to watch that with your mom and your brother. I wish, <coughs> I, I wish anyone in my household was more interested in that shit because it'd been nice to watch it with someone else. I spent I watched most of my Star Trek. Once I found out when it was airing, either I had to record it or I had to freaking get everyone else off of the TV. At least until, God, I'd say season three or four when we moved and I actually got my own TV in my own bedroom, which allowed me to watch Star Trek whenever the fuck I wanted. It's... It's odd because Next Gen, for most people, that is the definitive Star Trek. But there were, for quite a few seasons, it hadn't reached that level of popularity. And that most people didn't know Next... There were so many Star Trek fans who hadn't watched it or given it a chance that the original series was the only true Star Trek. And it it took a while for Next Gen to come into its own with its popularity. But, I mean, now, for most people, that is, like, their their idea of what star trek is yeah and i i could see that yeah i i just uh i i appreciate how much they stuck with roddenberry's core ideals of what the federation and what the star trek universe would entail in next generation um and watching the whole series from start to finish it's it's awesome to sit back and watch it, and like you said, you know, go through each seasons and realize that the, the gradual changes that they made to the uniforms, to some of the cast. You know, like in season one, you know, they didn't know what to do with Orf, like you were saying earlier, and eventually they they found a good place for him. Jordy was fucking doing the helmsman's duties. I mean, what the hell was that? The the first season is super weird because yeah. they, there's like a new chief engineer every episode. Yeah, I've seen some stuff online that's like tried to explain that. Well, because originally there was no engine room set, and the idea like Roddenberry had was that the ship was so advanced it was like the engine room ran itself, and he's like that's why we don't have a chief engineer and that's why there's no set. It's because the ship is just the most advanced ship in the fleet. You don't need that. 
and then they re- they they realized like right before shooting started that really doesn't make any sense. So they you can't tell, but they like really like like in a short amount of time made that engine room set, which I think is one of the best ones. But then that's why you you have the you didn't have a regularly cast uh, chief engineer, and I th- I'm not sure if this is something that the writer said or if I just saw this as a fan theory online, but it was something that kind of made sense of that was that the Enterprise was the most advanced ship in the fleet at that one at that point. It makes sense if with all the new galaxy class ships that they were building, you might have four or five chief engineers who are learning on the Enterprise and then, oh, you know, like the Discovery was just built or the Jaeger. So now I'm I've taken my skills learning within this engine crew. I'm ready to take over my own engine room in this new galaxy class because I've never seen an engine room like this one before. So we're constantly having new engineers coming through and learning. You would have two or three lieutenant commanders because they'd go off to a different ship with the skills they had learned. Right, yeah, that makes sense. Well, you have the helmsman. You didn't bring him on as one of them. And then you just like, yeah. Oh, we got all those uh, new people out of there, so now you can finally be the uh, the helmsman. But maybe Starfleet's like, yeah, you know, we know you wanted him in this role. We don't have that, you know, if he wants to hang out for an, uh, like a year until we get done with this training program, then he can do that. I don't know. It's also a TV uh-huh. show, and we have to uh, look at it, I guess, through that lens. Yeah, I mean, they finally got a, a place for everyone. By season three, I think they really had everything solidified. Yeah. And uh, you can tell there there is a marked increase in the quality of the series after season three. And I think towards season six and seven, it does go down a little bit just because they've really explored a bunch of the storylines that they could. But you had a crew that worked, a, a cast that worked so well together. I, I mean, to this day, I still feel when someone mentions Star Trek, I don't, I don't think Kirk, although he is probably the most larger than life character in the series. Yeah. I my my mind always goes to Picard, and the crew of the Enterprise D. Something that Jonathan Franks has said that he thinks why there was a a little bit of a deterioration with the last couple seasons was the budget was slashed a little bit when Deep Space Nine came out. They put so much money into the first couple episodes or seasons of Deep Space Nine. One, they had to make all the sets. But two, they were really throwing a lot of money at Deep Space Nine trying to make it a success. And so Next Gen lost some of the financing that they had. And so there were episodes where he's like he would direct. They're like, no, 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 I know that's the big shot. You got to shoot it this way. That's too expensive. And he would like get those notes all the time. (laughs) So I I don't think that he necessarily was. so there were, I mean, he didn't, I don't think he uh, necessarily, oh, I'm brain farting, um, you know, was angry at Deep Space Nine or, you know, had a grudge, but I mean, it was just something that it was a barrier put up that they had to, because of Deep Space Nine, they would have less money. Ah, fair enough. So, man, I don't know what to do. We're, we're at the end of our Star Trek episode. Um, uh, so I want to hear everybody's top tens. I want to hear how you guys think we got what we got right, what we went wrong, or where we went wrong. So comicbookdungeonpodcast at gmail.com. If you like this episode, because this, I cannot tell you how much fun I've had with this. I hope you guys <laughs> had fun listening. 
review us on iTunes. You clearly know how to do it because you fucking found us in iTunes. So yeah, yes. we're, we're lacking in iTunes reviews and we're kind of lacking. I know you guys are out there because I see the metrics, but we're not getting a lot of uh, feedback from the fans from, say, through the reviews or through emails. So comicbookdungeonpodcast at gmail.com. You can find it too. Just go to the website, comicbookdungeonpodcast.com, and that will take you uh, to our podium page. Uh, I know you are the curator of the Instagram page. Yeah, it's Comic Book Dungeon Podcast on Instagram. DM us, send us a message. Any any one of those choices. You've got your your Twitter, which uh, Broken LMD Life Model Decoy. So Broken LMD. And if you want to talk Star Trek, I never shut up about Star Trek. My wife gets super mad at me. Um, I was just boring her today about why the why the uniform colors changed from the original season to next gen because she doesn't care. And I, she <laughs> reminded me I had told her this before. So, so I'd love to talk Star Trek with you guys. Yes, yes, definitely. We are definitely a bunch of Trekkies over here. Yeah. Or Trekkers, if you want to be politically correct. I don't really care. But yeah, we, 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 we love all things sci-fi. And I know Mark and I have definitely gone back and forth about various Star Trek series, ranging from next generation of Voyager and anywhere in between in the original series. And now you're doing Discovery and seeming to have a good time with that. Yeah. Um, trying to figure it out because it's uh, very unlike Star Trek in a lot of ways. So yeah, I can't wait because I know eventually down the road you're going to hit Discovery and uh, we can have some fun conversations. I look forward to maybe getting some fan theories on Discovery because it doesn't fit very well with established canon. Um, and I uh, I am kind of an enter- I I've been always a, an Enterprise hater. I've been trying to give it a fair shot, but I don't think Enterprise is very good. So if you have another opinion, again, we want to hear from you guys. <laughs> if you want us to get back to Kill Raven, let us know. So right. So we've got yeah. What do we got coming up? I mean, uh, we've only got a couple more issues of Kill Raven, and then we're going to start on uh, the the great Star Trek. Uh, the movie comic book enterprise. Yeah. Which I actually have some of those in my long box. So, or my long boxes. So that will be fun. I will, uh, um, cause I bought a digital collection of Star Trek comics uh, a few years ago. So that's mostly where those are going to come from, but it's going to be nice to actually have the paper copies of some of these, uh, Star Treks. And we're going to have the, uh, uh, Marvel run of Godzilla. So if you ever wanted to see, you know, Godzilla, uh, fight shield. This is your opportunity. <laughs> Godzilla. Yeah. It's good. It's Godzilla versus dumb, dumb Dugan. And I think at one point he fights devil dinosaur. Wow. You don't, yeah. You don't want to miss this. No, don't. So yeah, we've got, we've got big things coming in the future here at the, uh, comic book dungeon. Yeah. This is, uh, the, yeah, this is, this is the ground floor that you guys can get on. It's only going to get better from here. Awesome, awesome, and definitely. I think I think incorporating these top tens should uh, should should definitely be a, a regular thing too. You know, along with the, uh, special events like Punish Sember and Punish Summer, and uh, the, the Halloween episode, which is going to. You got any thoughts about that? I can't believe it's been a year. It doesn't. Oh, it did. It came too quickly. I'm not looking forward to another. Uh, Another Simpsons summer or a Halloween special from Bongo Comics. 
Uh, yes, yes. Yeah. We'll, we'll fucking tear ourselves apart with that one, too. Fucking Treehouse of Terror. Ugh. It was it was terror. It was horrible. <laughs> it was bleeding out my ass at the end of that. Oh. Man. Yeah, I would love to do more top tens. Yeah, that was that was fun. Yeah. I'm, I, I think the thing that would end our friendship is if we did a top ten Voyager. Oof. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. If you guys have a top ten that you want us to hit, uh, let us know. Yeah, yeah. Come on, guys. Give us a give us a suggestion for a, what, what, top ten of whatever series we should go and kind of pick our best ones out of. Yeah, and we again, I want to hear your top ten next gen episodes. Yes. You, know, you guys, like the next episode, I will read your guys' top tens. Or if you have an episode like, man, I can't believe you put Skin of Evil and Royale on. You both suck. <laughs> I, I, I want to hear it. Awesome. Or, awesome. Or if we just get a bunch of emails that are. Shut up, Wesley. I. <laughs> oh, shit. And, um. By the time this airs, I'm hoping we get some uh, some feedback because I'm ransoming off those stories of me like shitting my pants. So I'm hope I can't wait until we're we get that resolved and I can tell those stories on the air. I think you guys are going to enjoy it. Everyone wants to hear a good Mark shitting his pants story. Yeah, it's, it's a good time uh, by all. So um, <laughs> I think I, I think that does it for this episode. I think you're right. So, Cruz here saying, hey, keep turning those pages. Keep charging those phasers. And I have a special treat to, to close out the show. Uh, it's uh, it's a little bit longer, but uh, I, I think it's enjoyable. Captain Picard is going to play us out. Mr. Crusher, set course for Starbase A. Gene, you're adorable. B, you're so beautiful. C, you're a cutie full of charm. D, you're a darling, and E, you're exciting, and F, you're a feather in my arms. G, you look good to me. H, you're so heavenly. I, you're the one I idolize. J, we're like Jack and Jill. K, you're so kissable. L, is the love light in your eyes. M, N, O, P. I could go on all day. Q. Q. R-S-T. Alphabetically speaking, you're okay. You make my life complete. V means you're very sweet. Double U X Y Z. It's fun to wander through the alphabet with you to tell you what you mean to engage. Good night, everybody. Good night, everybody.